This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson vill jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. I'm your host, Elon Dubrowski, and with me, as always, the fantasy hockey robot himself, who went and worked overtime to prep for this show, because we got so much to talk about, Brian Hello, Elon. Hello, everybody. And in the World Cup season, Elon, we call that extra time, but I was happy to do it. We've got a great jam-packed show super jam well i was gonna say super jam-packed for the summer but not really like big things so much just happened over the last week over the last two weeks can't wait to get into it yeah i've got so many notes i've taken brian we haven't even done a show since like the the mike hoffman news of getting traded to san jose and then to florida that's how long it's been so we have a big backlog of news to talk about i tried to come up with an order from like most important working our way down we'll see how far we could get whatever we don't get to we'll do it on the next show of course our last episode i talked to the great cam robinson about his experience at the draft and all the prospects so that's a good reason why we haven't talked about all the nhl comings and goings recently definitely uh for anyone listening here you should definitely check out that last episode if you haven't of course let's mention that we are presented by DauberHockey.com. They are on top of every signing, every trade. I love this time of year. Not only do they write an in-depth article, like breaking down all the players involved, I love how at the end they always have a, like who benefits, who doesn't benefit. That's what we're all about here. That's what they're all about there. This is the kind of stuff you need to be reading if you want to be ready to draft for next season. So check it out, DauberHockey.com. With that, Brian, let's get started with another piece of news, a reminder for those of you who are tuning in now, maybe for their first time this summer, you decide to take some time off. Now that John Tavares is signed with the lease and all this other stuff is happening, you're joining back in. Let me remind you, Brian and I have a Kickstarter going. We're very excited about it. The first ever fantasy hockey audio guide. If we get enough people signed up, because yeah, we don't want to waste a bunch of time recording 20 hours just for no one to listen. But if we have enough people interested, we're going to take a week off in August and record a mega audiobook, one chapter per team, breaking down every single fantasy relevant player and all of their values. So if you're interested in that, you can check out keepingcarlson.com slash guide for more information. And remember, this only happens if we make our goal. Right now, we're just shy of the 30% mark. Thanks to everyone who's contributed so far. Some of you for more than the actual cost of the guide because you're crazy or you really want this to happen. We, re- we appreciate your enthusiasm. 
so if you want to get on get in on the ground floor for this audio fantasy guide, you'll also get access to watching the live recordings, get the projection spreadsheet that updates live up until the start of the season, get your name in the credits of the guide, and guarantee that you'll pay the lowest price for it. Come on down, keepingcarlson.com slash guide. If you want to try to guess which of those perks is the one Brian came up with, I'm sure you'll be able to. That's a fun exercise for the listener. Okay. All of them? No, I mean, the one that you specifically were like, we should include this. And I was like, whatever, I guess. I don't, I don't, huh. It's the name in the credits. You always love naming people in credits. <laughs> you think that people are like, going to be so into that. They're like, I don't want this. Ooh, name in the credits. It's like, a classic other- Kickstarter throw-in. It was on all the other Kickstarter campaigns I was browsing. Why not? Why can't we? We love saying people's names. In fact, how about I say some? No! We have Chris to say- is the most recent backer. For our guide, thanks, Chris C. And okay. right before Chris, it was guest 86192926. Thank you very much. And we just lost all of our listeners. But for those of you who are still here, we're going to get into our content. First, let's talk about a piece of non-news. Let's just address this Eric Carlson <laughs> trade rumors, because of course we are the Keeping Carlson Fans Hockey Podcast. It's not about Melker Carlson or that Vegas Carlson that some people seem to say is the better Carlson. No, no. It's about Eric Carlson, obviously. And so how can we not at least mention that, yes, we are aware that rumors have been swirling about where is Eric Carlson going to get traded to. There was, what, like a couple nights ago, it looked like he was going to Tampa. There was a tweet out saying the trade's done. They just need to make a call to the league. Afterwards, they rescinded and said, I guess we were wrong. So far, nothing's happened. But Brian, do you just want to throw any general thoughts out there about Eric Carlson and this trade? I know you love to like get a bit critical about the sense management. Maybe let's not go down that rabbit hole. But just in general, should any like people, fantasy-wise, at the very least, like, what, what should people think about this impending trade? Nothing. Don't think about it until it happens. Your mental well-being will be better off for it. My only thought that we need to get out there is uh, it doesn't affect our podcast name in any way. Wherever Carlson goes, I'm getting asked like three times a day, do you need to change the name of your podcast? No, we're not keeping Carlson on the Ottawa Senators and we will advocate just as passionately for Carlson's keeper and fantasy value no matter where he plays. So hopefully that puts those crazy rumors to rest. Although we did have a good, like if we were an Ottawa Senators podcast, keeping Kachuk could be a good way to go. But uh, we don't need to. We're not a Senators podcast. Right, yeah. Okay, I mean, if anything, maybe Eric Carlson's keeper value goes up if he goes to a contending team like the Tampa Bay Lightning, something like that. I'll throw out a couple really quick notes. I don't even want your response, Brian. Come on. I don't want to talk about this until it happens. All right, I'm just going to say, give me one minute, two seconds. 30 okay. seconds. Okay, the 30 seconds. Start the timer. So the rumors are he might go to Tampa, Dallas, or Vegas. If he goes to Tampa, watch out for Hedman's value. If he goes to Dallas, watch out for Klingberg's value. If he goes to Vegas, watch out for maybe Shea Theodore's value. Obviously, Carlson would be the top power play guy. Also, if Eric Carlson gets traded, might be a good time to take a look at Thomas Shabbat because he was getting top power play time when Eric Carlson missed time at the end of last season. Obviously, who knows who we play with, but hey, Mark Stone's still there. Matthew Shane's still there. Time is up. Okay, let's get That's into it. Let's get into the big news, the free agents, the trades, perhaps even the biggest name free agent signing of all time. I don't want to be hyperbolic here, but since when has there been such a huge impact signing on a new team as John Tavares signing with the Toronto Maple Leafs? I am clearly dumb. I didn't expect the Leafs to be even in the running with all the players they have. I thought, how would they even be able to afford him? Obviously, Dubas figured out a way. Tavares signs a seven-year deal. He's going to be a Leaf for a very long, long time. He's going to pull a Shawn Michaels and live out his boyhood dream and play with his hometown Toronto Maple Leafs. 
The Leafs, as soon as this signing was made, the Leafs jumped up to the top of Bodog's odds for 2009 Cup winners. So, you know, the odds on who's going to win the Cup. The Leafs right now, they're going to give you the, the lowest return if you want to bet on the team to win the Cup right now. And why not? They got John Tavares now. They already had all these great young superstars. Austin Matthews is amazing. Now they add John Tavares, maybe a top five center in the league. Just to throw it out there, by the way, a few of my friends have pointed out the, the Leafs still can't win because they need a defense. And I'm not here to, like, advocate – for the least and say like, oh, for sure, I think they're going to win. But I'm just going to point out there, just a friendly reminder, the Pittsburgh Penguins won the cup a couple years ago with Chris Letang injured. So they had a D group led by Justin Schultz, Oli Mata, and Trevor Daly. So obviously having defense helps. Having a marquee top defenseman is obviously going to make it a lot easier for the least to go all the way. But I don't think you need it. It's nice. You don't necessarily need it. They have some solid, okay defensemen and then offenses out of this world. So Brian, let's get into the fantasy fallout here. And of course, we'll get to all of it, but let's start with Tavares on the Leafs. So the 27-year-old John Tavares had his second highest ever point total last year, putting up 37 goals and 84 points in 82 games. Now he goes to the Leafs. And the big question to me and to a lot of people is where exactly will he slot in? Like the Leafs already have Matthews and Kadri. So do now Matthews and Tavares center the top two lines and Kadri goes down to line three? Or ever you sent me an article, who knows how credible it is? Like maybe Tavares could even play wing regarding like Tavares, like either way, he's going to play on the top power play, right? So you know that that's going to be a killer unit and he's going to get a lot of points there. Regardless, also, it doesn't even matter where John Tavares plays. I'd imagine he's going to be getting better line mates than the likes of Josh Bailey and Anders Lee. I would think so. Maybe not. You'll let us know what you think. But where do you think he's going to slot in? And do you think his fantasy value goes up or down going from the Islanders to the Leafs? Or maybe you'll just say this stays the same. So I sort of am is the the short answer, but I'm going to rewind just for a minute to where you said like people are talking about how the Leafs need defense and now they don't have enough money to commit to their defense and how like, okay, the the perception for a while and it also was some measure of reality in, in the way hockey was played like not so long ago was that you really needed an upper echelon top pairing and like a really solid top four to be able to have a crack at winning a cup. But Look at that Pittsburgh team you mentioned, and also at this year's Stanley Cup finalists, and you see teams that discovered that high-octane offense worked really well enough as a pretty solid defense in lieu of having those big shut-down marquee names on your roster. So I don't think lack of defense is going to get in the way of Toronto being a Stanley Cup contender. Uh, Their back end is certainly serviceable enough, and like my theory on why this is even a topic is just, it's just summer content churning, right? It's just someone who needs to have a take to print their column is throwing this out there, probably someone in Edmonton. And uh, it's also <laughs> like the, the questions also like along with, can the Leafs keep their core when it's been shown that essentially, yeah, there is a reasonable way that they can hold on to Nylander and Marner while still having Matthews and Tavares. It looks like the Leafs can, this has been asked and more or less answered until the time actually comes. Okay, so that's just my my little rant about, like, let's just be excited. I'm not even a Leafs fan, but I'm excited for what Tavares joining the Leafs means for hockey, means for what happens when I'm going to watch the Leafs and watch hockey. It's going to be really exciting to see how this all plays out. Um, As for where he's going to play in the lineup, uh, I really, no idea, right? I, I don't know what the Leafs are going to do with Tavares. I'm not even going to bother pretending that I do, but to take a crack, I'll guess that Tavares centers a line with Mitch Marner and then maybe Patrick Marlowe is the third piece and wherever he plays whether it's on the first line on the second line with Nylander with Marner in Toronto in Long Island I don't think Tavares's value changes a whole lot either way if anything 
we could say Tavares might be helped by having some marginally improved line mates. Like I feel comfortable saying that Mitch Marner is going to be Tavares' best line mate since I actually I went back. He, Tavares played half a season with a 30-year-old Thomas Vanek in 2013-14. So maybe that's the best wow. line mate Tavares has had but, until now. I don't know if I'm fully equipped to say it, but I think Marner is also a potential improvement over a Caposo. What about P.A. Parento? I mean, he was pretty good, but I don't think he's <laughs> this good. Is that a joke? Uh, yeah, quite half and half. Okay. <laughs> uh, like, always underappreciated P.A. Parento, so I, don't, I didn't want to laugh you out with that one, um, but I, I'm pretty sure Mitch Marner is better. Anyway, for time on ice, that's probably the real concern, right? In, in Long Island, Tavares was the top dog, no doubt about it, going to eat the most ice time for sure. And uh, it showed in his numbers last year. He led all Isles centermen with an average of 20 minutes per game. But for comparison, Austin Matthews led all Leafs centermen in ice time per game with only 18 minutes per game. So two fewer minutes for the same outcome. And then in Toronto, if we want to see what a number two center got, uh, after Austin Matthews came Kadri last year, who clocked in with about 80 seconds fewer of ice per game than Matthews. So maybe we see Tavares's lowest minutes played per game since his first couple years in the league where he averaged 18, 19 minutes. Since then, it's essentially been 20 or 21 minutes. But that's not necessarily a bad thing, uh, especially because you may not have realized that John Tavares averaged a minute and a half per game killing penalties last year. So take out those minutes, and you're pretty much seeing a more comparable amount of even strength and power play time to what Austin Matthews saw last year. And so just to, to bring this all home, if Jersey Crest and home rink don't matter much to Tavares, then we look at him strictly as a, as a really great player heading into his age 28 season, exiting his prime years, but still obviously very good, and also seeing no glaring signs of decline. Obviously, his two seasons before this last one in 2017-18, they weren't up to par with the four-year stretch beginning in 2012 that Tavares was a point-per-game player. His value did fall off somewhat. But I'm pretty comfortable slotting Tavares back in as a point-per-game guy again this year. Though, Elon, I wonder if we're going to agree on this. If I'm asking you to over-under John Tavares' point-per-game in 2018-19, which way are you going? I think I'm with you that I think it's going to be right around there. Give me the, give me the over. I'm going fun. under. Of course you are. But you're a more conservative guy. It'll be fun to see when we're doing our guide, if we get the opportunity to do so, we'll have to figure out a way to deal with some of these disagreements. Maybe you'll be like John Tavares, 80 points. And I'll be like John Tavares, 85 points. And we'll have to fight it out. Maybe we'll go with the average. I think we're both in agreement. It's going to be around there. And it'll be really fun to see how things work out on the Leafs, like how the lines shake out. Because, okay, aside from John Tavares, who obviously everyone's going to want to draft, like maybe you could have a discussion of whether he should be drafted like 10th in the league or 15th in the league or whatever. The real question to me is what do we do about all these other Toronto Maple Leafs? Like how does his signing affect the other big names like Matthews, Marner, Nylander, Kadri, Morgan Riley? Like I feel like Kadri's likely in line for the biggest hit if he gets bumped to line three, while say Matthews sticks with Nylander and Hyman and Tavares plays with Marner and and Marlowe, like you were suggesting. And though, I mean, I don't want to discount a potential really exciting third line. Like, imagine if the Leafs had Kadri with Andreas Janssen, who had a really good playoffs in the AHL, Kasperi Kapanen. That could be a fun third line, but obviously they wouldn't get as much ice time, and that wouldn't be so great for Nazem Kadri. Man, the Leafs sure do have some forward depth. They just signed Tyler Ennis for dirt cheap. That's pretty good for a fourth line guy, maybe potentially second power play. So the Leafs definitely seem to know what they're doing. 
to fully complete the Leafs talk, we'll need to also discuss the departures of JVR and Bozak, but we'll get to them in a little bit. First, let's, let's uh, d- discuss these Leafs. As I was saying, like, who do you think are the players who will get helped or hurt the most with Tavares joining the team? And I guess, sure, with JVR and Bozak leaving. I will point out by like, Morgan Riley. Got to be good for his top power play situation if he stays there. Now just adding John Tavares, they're losing JVR. I don't know. Okay, so Brian, what's your take on these other Leafs players? Well, let's not discount. We're getting to him later. Let's not discount how effective and efficient and quality JVR was on the power play. Not to say that John Tavares is going to be a downgrade at all, but JVR was really fantastic. Anyway, we'll get to him later when we talk about Philly. Uh, who else is affected in Toronto? Tavares coming helps everyone in the top six forwards and top four D. And don't forget, I, I don't know if you mentioned Patrick Marlowe as being amongst that group because all these guys are going to be playing with an elite centerman, either Matthews or Tavares. You might even be able to extend this uh, Tavares coming uh, to be something that will help all, everyone in the top nine forward group as well, seeing as how every winger is really still going to get a, a high-quality centerman. If you're playing on the third line, quote-unquote, with Nazem Kadri, that's a, that's a pretty nice spot to be. Of course, the top six will be the ones better off in the amount of minutes they're getting and competition they're facing. But think of guys like Zach Hyman and Connor Brown, who have been in the top six before and now have, might have a bit more of a chance of staying there now that James Van Riemsdyk is moving away. Okay, but at least Kadri, right? Like if he's bumped and is playing with rookies like Janssen and Kasperi Kapanen, and I just threw those names out there. You could also say like Connor Brown and Ennis. Like, I don't know, but if Kadri's a third line center, he's the one you have to be a little bit worried about. Like he had a really good year last year. I could bring up his numbers right now, but I'd imagine it's going to be hard for him to match it again if yeah. he's not playing with, like last year he had that amazing stretch playing with Marner and Marlowe. But if you're saying that's Tavares's job, that's not great. Oh yeah, so Kadri had 55 points in 80 games, which is solid. Actually, it's not as good as I recall. I guess he just really heated up near the end when he got those great line mates. He had some great runs. And yeah, Nazem Kadri, if you want to find someone to be worried about, and it's not hard to get worried about him. He is the one who you need to be most worried about dropping in production in terms of the opportunities he'll have and his deployment. Kadri is going to more than likely be tasked with facing other teams as top lines and then getting the heck off the ice immediately afterwards. So whatever line replaces those top lines is, uh, is sicked upon by Matthews and Tavares. I don't know if I used that word correctly, but you get what I'm saying. So Kadri should see a decrease in ice time as the third centerman instead of the second and uh, as such an, a decrease in his opportunity to produce. That said, Kadri has been a 55-60 point player for two years while playing in what's already been much of a support role, not so different than what he's going to be doing next year. So I'm not counting him out entirely from being a relevant player that you want to roster, but you might want to back your expectations for Kadri down maybe five, six, seven points or so, like say 55 is the upside. And of course, Kadri can rise or fall from that mark, depending on how the power play situation shakes out. Okay, that's fair. So let's move on. It's really hard to speculate. Maybe, Brian, we should do a general uh, like caveat to everything we're going to say. Like, We don't know what the lines are going to be for all of these new situations. So a lot of it is just going to be us speculating. We generally don't like to speculate. We like to prognosticate with data. So we're going to do our best here, but we'll have to reassess as like training camp approaches, as tweets come out about what line combos the coach is interested in. So we're doing our best. Obviously, we'll know a lot more once we know where players are slotting in. So, okay, the next big question... That with Tavares joining the Leafs is how does this affect the Islanders and specifically Calder winner Matt Barzil, 
who will now take over as the top-line centre on the New York Islanders when we discussed Barzil joining the 70-point club a few shows ago. I believe the conclusion was that was that it was going to be tough for him to match his 85-point output again, even with Tavares in the picture. Now, like, Tavares leaves. Does that help or hurt a guy like Matt Barzil? Like, on one hand, he may get better line mates and even strength. Like, imagine instead of playing with Beauvillier, he gets to play with Anders Lee. But he's going to lose John Tavares on the top power play. And now he's going to get the focus of the other teams when they have to decide on a line to key in on. So I'm going to tell you, Brian, it's, I don't think this is great for Matt Barzley. He's going to be the top center on the team, but he's going to have a lot of people gunning for him. Yeah, so we had Ted in the Facebook group asking this exact question today. Ted's also here with us in the chat, keepingcarlson.com slash live, uh, Sundays at 8 p.m. We tweet out the link when we're... Anyway, uh, so Ted had this question about Barzil. Is he hurt by Tavares leaving? And it follows questions we had earlier this offseason before we knew what was going to happen about what was best for Barzil, how he'd do with Tavares, how he'd do without Tavares. Now that we know Tavares is out, Barzil, of course, moves up to being the top dog and like the only dog in Long Island. And this, you might imagine, is perceivably bad news as teams are going to be putting the full weight of their defensive focus onto him. But we have also seen data. If you're worried that all of a sudden Barzal is attracting all the team's attention, uh, we've seen data that shows quality of competition does not have a massive impact on someone's ability to produce points if they're as good as Matt Barzal. So essentially, maybe we shouldn't be scared of Barzal having to go up against top shutdown lines and pairs every night. Uh, but for those who want to be concerned, for those worry warts out there, for those who are trying to make decisions about Matt Barzell, I'll give you two things to chew on. I'm actually going to give you a third if I can remember to after I share the two that I already prepared. The first thing that you might want to be worried about with John Tavares leaving about Matt Barzell is that the other power play threat on that top unit is now gone. Teams now know that Matt Barzell is the biggest threat out there and will be able to attend to him a little more closely while that unit is on the ice. I'm not saying that every other guy on the Islanders' top power play is all of a sudden chopped liver, but it sure helps Barzil when there's another elite player making defenders nervous or cheat a little bit towards that player in anticipation. Uh, The other thing that makes me concerned about Matt Barzil going into this season is just based upon what the Islanders have been doing since John Tavares left. They signed Leo Komarov, Valtteri Filipula, traded for Matt Martin. Just neither of these are terribly helpful moves to the offensive cause. And bigger picture, they make me wonder exactly what the Islanders think they're doing. And the third piece is that, and we mentioned this before when people ask, is the sophomore slump real? One thing that might make the sophomore slump real is that teams have more of a book on a guy, right? They've played against him several times in a season. They have more tape to review. They know to review him going into the matchup. So Matt Barzil, he's not sneaking up on anybody anymore. So other teams are going to be a little more prepared for what he offers, which is going to make things a little harder for him. But that was going to happen with or without John Tavares in the lineup. Right. After yeah. those, oh, okay. Still going. Yeah. I will, I'm going to try and end on an upswing by saying the good news for Matt Barzil is he still has Jordan Eberle and now perhaps Anders Lee by his side, depending on how the lines shake out. And Barzil, with those line mates, is going to be still reasonably well equipped to continue producing, albeit on what will likely be a less powerful power play. 
Okay. Regarding the sophomore slump, I actually did a segment once on this other podcast, I guess, once in a while, the reality check about the sophomore slump. There was an article like, really researching whether it exists or not, and it was pretty much like it's not a real thing. Like Players who have amazing rookie seasons tend to do worse in their second year, but that's likely just because they were so good in their first year, like they overperformed, so that's why they tend to do worse. Like Players who have average rookie seasons don't tend to do worse in their second year. So I think yeah. Matt Barzell, the fact that he had 85 points in his rookie season, the fact that 15 of those points came in three games. Remember, he had three five-point games last season. You take away those three games or give him just one point in each of those games, then all of a sudden we're talking about a 73-point guy, not an 85-point guy. So I think there's reason to expect Barzil to have trouble reaching those expectations. Like, say, you've given some other reasons, but he's still going to be good. He's still the top guy. Still want to draft him, but you probably want to watch how high you draft him, especially if you're in a multi-category league. He's not great for shots. He's not great for hits. He's not great for blocks. So he's going to get you those assists and those power play points. Maybe not as much as last year. Okay, sorry to be a bummer. Let's talk about some other Islanders players. Brian, let's play a game. I don't... Maybe someone in the chat can help us come up with a name for this game because I want to do it a few times on this episode. Basically, I'm going to tell you a player and I want you to answer if their fantasy value is helped, hurt, or unaffected. We can call the game HHU. Helped, hurt, or unaffected. It's terrible. Huh? I need, huh? Let's play huh right now. And let's start with Josh Bailey. Could end up being centered instead of by John Tavares. He could end up being centered by newly acquired Valtteri Filpula or maybe Brock Nelson. So that can't be good for him. I feel like of all the players who we talked about joining the 70-point club last year, his odds of sticking in the 70-point club must be the lowest of anyone we discussed on that show, right? Like maybe Bailey stays with the top line and plays with Barzil and Anders Lee, but I kind of feel like Barzil was clicking with Jordan Eberle, so I'd be surprised. Yeah, things going from bad to worse for Josh Bailey. If I didn't have to frame my response narrowly within the huh paradigm, I would say blech, but I will go with hurt. Okay, so next, Jordan Eberle had 59 points in 81 games last year. Only 10 power play points because he wasn't on the top power play for most of the year. Seemed to click well with Barzil, and now I'd imagine with this vacant spot on the top power play, who better to take it? So maybe he's one of the few guys who might benefit from this? Helps. He does benefit. I think so. And I think he's going to be in a better deployed situation. And I think uh, Eberly is perfectly capable of taking advantage. I, like you, Elon, feel like he and Barzil had something good going together last year. And hopefully that's just going to get bumped up in ice time to happen a little more frequently each game. I was already expecting Eberly to once again threaten for 60 points, but an increased role could get him above that for sure now. Nice. Maybe a 65-point Jordan Everly. Keep that in mind when you're drafting. Okay, Anders Lee, 62 points last year, playing with John Tavares. He had a high shooting percentage, 22 power play points. What does this mean for him? I'm going to say, what, what's the U? Unaffected? Unaffected. But we, this is up for, like, tweet at us at Keeping Carlson and give us a better three words for this game. Yeah, so Anders Lee, uh, the, the concern if you look at his numbers at first blush, you see, oh, he shot 19% last year. That's not going to keep up. But he's actually kept his shooting percentage in the 18 19% range over two years and 400 shots now. And uh, like you try and parse it and see, okay, at even strength, his shooting percentage was pretty much identical the last two years. Same with on the power play. So uh, maybe... Anders Lee is a high-efficiency converter. Maybe he can keep this up. The odd thing about Anders Lee is that these high-percentage seasons followed his first two seasons in which his shooting percentage was not at all this good, nor was his on-ice shooting percentage, which makes him one of those guys that I still don't totally know what to make of. My hunch, though... Can I throw a theory at you? Yeah. 
Was he playing with John Tavares in those first two seasons? No. Okay, well, there you go. <laughs> Actually, I would need to... Well, but whatever, we don't know for sure, but probably yeah. playing with John Tavares, getting those sweet, sweet assists from an elite centerman are going to help you convert on those shots. For sure, but he still could have an elite centerman with Matt Barzell, which is why I'm hoping he'll be unaffected. I, my hunch is that Andersley still has 60-point potential next year, but the caveat is the same as Barzell's in that you know maybe he'll be okay at even strength, but it's going to be a weaker power play unit. So would you take Eberly over Andersley next year? Sounds like yes, right? I would take the guy that I'm more certain is going to be playing with Matt Barzell. And at this point, I, I don't have any information towards that. If I had to totally guess, I'd guess Eberly. Okay, one more forward on the team to play this game with Anthony Beauvillier. He scored in five straight games down the stretch when he got in the top six playing with Matt Barzell and even played a couple games with Tavares. Now it's tough to imagine Beauvillier gets that top unit time with Matt Barzell. So I feel like even being in the top six, if he's like on the second line, it's a lot less appealing if you go from having Barzell as a center to one of the guys I mentioned potentially centering Bailey. So I'd imagine this hurts Anthony Beauvillier, though... He's a young guy. He just started. So maybe he has the upside of just maturing into a better player to help him to continue that good run that he was on at the end of last season. The question is, what are we realistically expecting from Anthony Beauvillier? Is he a top six guy? Is he a middle six guy? I mean, we were hopeful at times that he could be a top six guy, but I'm not sure he's established himself as, as having reached that step yet. In fact, I'm sure he has not established himself there yet. So I'm going to say that Anthony Beauvillier is minorly hurt by Tavares leaving uh, just because you know there's I'm not sure where he falls in the depth chart uh, but if Beauvillier now it used to be if he's not on the top two lines he's in trouble well now if he's not on the top line it's going to be an uphill battle for much of the year for Beauvillier to establish himself or to have any help establishing himself he's obviously in a worse spot with one less elite centerman available for him to potentially land next to Okay, fair enough. And then any thoughts on the Islanders sign? I guess you already said you don't agree with the moves, signing Phil Pula and Komarov and getting Matt Martin. Is there any fantasy value there? Or can we move on completely? Like, the thing is, I feel like Phil Pula could end up being the second-line center, either him or Brock Nelson, right? Yeah, and play with who? Exactly. Okay, Beauvillier. I don't know, Josh Bailey. Yeah, that's not enough for me to want somebody. Keep, keep your distance from both of them. Phil Pula, I'm not sure he can make anything work as a second-line center. Komarov has been over deployed for a couple years now with Mike Babcock and we'll see how exactly Barry Trotz wants to use him but I wouldn't I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't bank a lot on it I would not draft him okay fair enough by the way yeah we should mention was he on any rosters by the end of last season anyway hey I want to fully cover everything that happened if not this episode then over the next few episodes I'm going to mention hopefully every player that's moved to go no that would be crazy but like the players that are somewhat relevant, unfortunately, on the Islanders, Phil Pula might be pretty high on the depth chart, so I had to at least bring him up. Oh, by the way, you mentioned Barry Trotz joining the Islanders, so that's kind of cool. The, the cup-winning coach now going to a new team. That doesn't happen too often. Do you think this could help balance out John Tavares leaving? I can't imagine it does, right? You're a, a known proponent of saying that you don't think the coach has too much effect on a team's performance, or especially their players' fantasy values. Yeah, the coach's effect goes to, like, not there's not any, like... Well, okay, maybe there's a minor secret background effect that the coach is having with a better system. Of course, it depends on how bad the previous coach was. Um, but Barry Trotz's main effect is going to be who become his favorite players and how well does he deploy them. Fair enough. Okay, and then since we're on the Islanders, let's talk about their goaltending because they lost Yaroslav Halak to free agency and they signed Robin Leonard to a one-year, $1.5 million contract. So Leonard 
had a great start with the Sabres. We started on the Sens. He got traded to the Sabres. His first couple years on Buffalo were injury-ridden, but when he did play, he put up a 924 save percentage of 21 games in 2015-16. And then Leonard put up a 920 save percentage of 59 games in 2016-17. He was looking like a nice sleeper pick going into last season, but it all fell apart. He won only 14 of 53 games. 14 of 53, that's terrible. He had a below-average 908 save percentage. I guess this was enough for the Sabres to decide not to move on with Robin Leonard. They let him go to free agency. They didn't even give him a qualifying offer. Now Leonard goes to the Islanders, where I guess he'll be competing with Thomas Grice for starts. Grice was even worse than Leonard last year. Grice had a terrible season, an 892 save percentage. So I assume, unless you'll tell me otherwise, that it's Leonard's net to lose going into next year. And if he is the starter of the Islanders, how good do you expect him and the Islanders to be? Like, how highly will you be mentioning Robin Leonard's name on our Schmorgolisborg episode in maybe a couple months? Um, not so high. And again, connected to what the Isles offseason has looked like losing an elite player, uh, bringing in a few other guys who aren't going to help you also losing Calvin DeHaan, like nothing seems to be going right in Long Island at the moment, except for Barry Trotz coming in, which is hopefully going to help stem some of the bleeding here, which is why I'm not going to be terribly high on Robin Lehner. Uh, looking at the Isles goaltending situation, Grace was terrible last year, right? Which makes you feel pretty down on his chances to be the number one or number one A next year and thinking that, hey, they just signed Lehner, bargain contract. Let's see what they can get out of him. But a couple things give me pause before saying that Lehner is automatically going to be one or one A heading even into training camp. Uh, first off, Grace's awful numbers came in his lowest sample size as an Islander. He just played 27 games last season. So having a crummy save percentage could be like disproportionately affected by not having had enough time to sort of right the ship when things were going wrong. Uh, The other thing for Thomas Grice is that in his two previous seasons as an Islander before 2017-18, Grice had numbers that showed him stopping more shots than you'd have expected of an average NHL goalie in his place. Meanwhile, Lehner has not accomplished that feat, stopping more shots than you'd have expected of an average NHL goalie in his place. Uh, Leonard hasn't done that since, well, kind of since forever. Leonard performed above average expectations in the 2012-13 season, but he only had 12 appearances that year. So it essentially didn't happen. And Leonard has performed below average in every year that he's seen more than those 12 starts, but was bad to a lesser extent than Thomas Grice for last season alone. So there's a lot of different ways you can pick at the data that exists and say, well, this guy probably should be there. This guy probably should be there. Uh, One other thing that you probably want to consider at this point, we, especially when he signed with Buffalo, we said, well, Laner, you know, maybe there's some upside there. Maybe we really haven't gotten to see what he can do. Uh, Laner's not a prospect anymore. He's heading into his age 27 season. So you're not really counting on a goalie suddenly blooming. It can happen. It's happened before. We've seen it happen at 29, 30 years old, sure. But he's not some young goalie who just needs time to develop. He's a, he's a, at this point, he's like a bit of a journeyman who has never been able to find his game at the highest level. So where does this leave us between Lehner and Grace? I think it leaves, well, the aisles are not in good shape either way. As I mentioned, they also lost Calvin DeHaan, which is going to hurt whichever guy ends up in the net. I think it's going to be a tough season for Lehner or Grace, whichever one ends up there. It's going to be a training camp battle. There's going to be a fair amount of flipping back and forth between the two throughout the year. If I had to take a wild guess, I actually, like, I can see Lehner. They want to start fresh. 
you know, try a new face in there, or they go with, uh, go with the guy who's been the backbone of the team for two of the last three years and Thomas Grace. It could go either way. Iman, I have no idea. Okay, that's fair. I feel like it's going to be like that with a lot of teams, and we might get to a couple more goalies in this episode. Like, we're going to talk about Philly next. Like, who knows what they're going to do with Brian Elliott and Michael Neuvirth. Like, there's a, it's going to be tough to draft goalies next year. Like, there's some that are really solid and certain, and then there's, I feel like, a lot of teams going into next year where we're just not sure. Like, the Avalanche, which we're actually not pegged to talk about them today because we have so much to talk about, but, like, the Avalanche just traded for Grubauer. So we have Grubauer and Varlamov. That brings both of their fantasy values down, at least for next season, I would think, because that's going to be a battle. So it's tough. Sometimes you're going to just have to flip a coin, grab a goalie, hope for the best. Obviously, you don't want to go too high on an Islanders, on an Islanders goalie. So as if Yaroslav Halak was so valuable last year. But okay, so we talked about the Leafs and how they got John Tavares, but they lost a couple players, including James Van Riemsdyk, who goes to Philly. He signed a five-year, $35 million contract. JVR is coming off an interesting year with the Leafs last year. He had his lowest point total in a while. He only had 54 points in 81 games. But that said, he had his highest ever goal total, scoring 36 goals. So a lot of those points were goals. My first thought here is this has to be good for JVR, who will likely get an upgrade on his most common line mates from last season of Tyler Bozak and Connor Brown. He wasn't playing with the good players, and he still scored 36 goals. So imagine now if JVR could get a spot with Giroux or Voracek. The thing is, just like with the Leafs, it's so hard to predict how the lines are going to shake out. Last season, Philly ended the year slotting Travis Konechny on line one with Giroux and Couturier, and that worked out really well. Like, Konechny instantly became very fantasy relevant. He was fantastic at the end of the year. Then they spread out the offense over the next two lines. They had Voracek with Nolan Patrick and Lindblom on the second line. I'm talking like right at the end of the year. And then Simmons with Phil Pula and Jordan Wheel. So there's a lot of feasible places where JVR could jump in. Maybe he bumps Konechny from that top line. Maybe they leave that group intact, put JVR with Nolan Patrick and Jake Voracek, which would be a really great second line. Though maybe they want to get Simmons back in the top six. So maybe... Like, regardless, I guess the bigger question is maybe what happens with the Philly top power play, because that's one of the most potent top power plays out there. That's the power play that makes Ghost Bear one of the best defensemen to own. Makes Giroux, like, one of the top forwards. you got so many power play points. You've got to imagine JVR gets in there. He was very good on the power play last year with the Leafs. They just signed him to this big money. But who does he bump? I guess Wayne Simmons? So... I'm really curious to know, and again, we have to speculate a little bit, but like these questions are going to determine what JVR's fantasy value is for next year. So Brian, what do you think? Maybe you could give like a best and worst case scenario for JVR when you're coming up with a projection based on what his deployment will be. But I'm curious if you need to know what's your guess is what that deployment will be. Okay, best case, worst case scenarios coming up. But first, let's, let's take the long route to see exactly how we can arrive at those scenarios. First, where does James Van Riemsdyk slot in in the Philadelphia lineup? The answer has to be top six, right? And maybe it's on the second line with Nolan Patrick and Jacob Voracek. If not, then it's with Claude Giroux and Sean Couturier on the top line. Either case gives JVR better ice time and better line mates than he was getting on the third line in Toronto with Tyler Bozak and Connor Brown. I think he's also going to end up on the power play because, as alluded to earlier in this show, James Van Riemsdyk has been really successful as a net front power play guy. Van Riemsdyk, you might not know this, Elon, was ranked 10th in power play goals per 60 minutes last season. And the problem... Sorry. What? That's so good. <laughs> it's so good. And the weird thing is, or not a weird thing or not a problem, but here we have JVR, uh, one of the best net front guys in the league, one of the best power play goal scorers in the league from last year, coming into a team that has Wayne Simmons, who's also a pretty good net front power play guy. So you figure there's only room for one of Van Riemsdyk or Simmons on that top unit. 
And then you figure that Philadelphia has Simmons contract expiring in one year and just gave JVR a $7 million contract. And you figure that's probably not to anchor their second power play unit. And so my guess is that JVR starts on the top power play unit. I saw one idea shared by Charlie O'Connor over at The Athletic that perhaps the Flyers, to, to accommodate both of their quality power play net front guys, maybe the Flyers modify their power play to fit both JVR and Simmons as like sort of flanky semi-net front presences. And if they did this, uh, Charlie O'Connor hypothesized that Couturier would be the odd one out dropping off of the top unit because JVR would take his spot to Giroux's right to offer the one-timer opportunity with a left-handed shot. Anyway, what does this all mean for JVR's fantasy value now that he's definitely in the top six in Philadelphia and very likely on their top power play unit? Uh, It's good, right? (laughs) JVR's fantasy value is better than it was before. Uh, He was being played for fewer minutes in Toronto than I'd expect him to play this year as a flyer. Of course, that bodes well for him. The lack of ice time in Toronto, like we're not saying like all of a sudden JVR is a god. He did really well last year with the ice time he got and the lack of ice time obscured JVR's fantastic shot rates. 16th in the league in shots per 60 minutes last year. And that was not an anomaly for JVR either. He's been a top flight shot taker for much of his career. And he's been very good at converting on those shots too. Also from Charlie O'Connor in that athletic article, James Van Riemsdyk is only beneath Patrick Liney and Austin Matthews in even strength goals per 60 minutes over the last three years. So if those rate stats are so good at even strength goals, power play goals, shots on goals, you add minutes, those minutes added should add points if he can keep those rate stats constant, which I think James Van Riemsdyk can do. So worst case for James Van Riemsdyk, line two, power play two, in which case I still think he can get back to last year's 54 points he had in similarly, eh, deployment and best case for James Van Riemsdyk is of course line one power play one and in that case he's a threat for 65 he could have a huge improvement over last year maybe even a threat for 70 pull uh, Braden Shen or am I getting too crazy now no that would that would be great I, I didn't uh, I definitely considered 70 but went with 65 that's fair. So you're saying you think this is really good for James Van Riemsdyk. And if you're saying that you think he's going to get on the top power play, you gave two scenarios. Either he bumps Wayne Simmons or he bumps Couturier. I wanted to ask you about Wayne Simmons because he's another guy that's tough to peg after his year last year. He only, like you said, he only has one year left on his contract before he becomes a UFA. And he had his worst season in a long time last year. He put up a measly 46 points in 75 games. We did point out, though, that news came out at the end of the year that he was basically saddled with different injuries all year long. So it's really hard to say how much credence we should put into his poor performance last year now JVR enters the picture and I imagine that could only hurt Wayne Simmons but of course we were also hoping that Simmons was going to improve once he's healthy and not suffering from all these different ailments so what do you think about him and his fantasy value for next year uh yeah well I sort of already alluded that Wayne Simmons is probably going to hurt the most from JVR's arrival in Philadelphia. Of course, if JVR slots in on the second line in power play one, which I think is the most likely scenario, does not match either of those best or worst case scenarios, but is the most likely scenario, that bumps Wayne Simmons potentially out of the top six and off of the top power play unit. And until we hear otherwise, I'd be cautious about betting big on Simmons for this reason. You might be looking at 50 points best case for him if that's his deployment instead of the 60-point upside that we've been able to hope for in the past. Again, this is entirely dependent on deployment. Simmons is one guy 
who you really need to be watching in training camp and even preseason to get a sense of what his role is going to be before you go ahead and draft him. Yeah, though, if you have a draft right now, then you just have to take a guess. You're giving lots of reasons to be concerned. But of course, if he falls too far, he is Wayne Simmons. He's a really good player, and especially if your league counts hits. And if he's not injured, hopefully he'll help you there as well. But okay, let's now look at another player I want to ask about. Oh, yeah, we're in another game of helped, hurt, or unaffected. Another game of ha. So you said Wayne Simmons probably hurt. How about Nolan Patrick? This is another obstacle now for Nolan Patrick to get on that top power play. He did get on the top power play for a little bit at the end of last year when Wayne Simmons was out, and he looked really good there. Now not only does he have to get past Simmons, he has to get past JVR to get that sweet spot. On the plus side, there's a good chance that Nolan Patrick gets a better winger in JVR, like we've been discussing. If he could play with JVR and Jacob Borchek on line two, that's a really good line for the up-and-coming Nolan Patrick, who ended last season with only 30 points in 73 games, which is bad, but he ended strong. He had 12 points in his last 19, so I got to assume Nolan Patrick is going to do better next year than 30 points, even just because he'll no longer be a teenager, which is good, but he does have this extra obstacle. So I guess this is more of like a deeper question than just huh because I'm asking not only does JVR hurt him but also do you think that he could overcome that by just being older and you know more mature player there are a few things going in Nolan Patrick's favor going into his sophomore season the first is that if you take away the first half of last season Nolan Patrick's season was actually better than you would realize Uh, Patrick had a really poor start to his rookie year low production poor line mates, didn't ever look like he deserved much better than that either. And he ended up, after his first 40 games in the NHL, scoring just nine points, three goals, six assists, 48 shots in 40 games, 12 minutes a game. Not good. Throw it out the window. Never happened. Yeah, never happened. And then just look at the new year. Right around the new year, uh, Nolan Patrick started picking up his game, and the results finally came around the all-star break. That was the moment where Patrick was promoted onto the second line with Jacob Voracek, and Patrick never looked back from there. In his last 33 games of the year, he had 10 goals, 11 assists for 21 points, 79 shots, so going from barely one shot per game to like two and a half, played 15 and a half minutes per game, and uh, 21 points in 33 games. That's a 52-point pace over the last 33 games of the season for Nolan Patrick. And I don't think it's unfair for him to be aiming for that mark this year, that 52-point mark, for one reason. He's another year older, so that's going to help him. And on top of that, remember that last summer, Nolan Patrick, shortly after being drafted, uh, was recovering from surgery, or shortly before he was drafted, was recovering from off-season surgery and didn't really have a chance to get like a full off-season in This summer, Nolan Patrick actually can work out and prepare and work towards being in his best physical condition to start the year, and that's an exciting thing. So even without James Van Riemsdyk playing with him, I think 50 points for Nolan Patrick would be reasonable uh, on the second line, though. Like, that's second line minus JVR, but JVR is probably going to be on the second line, and I don't think that changes Patrick's fortunes drastically, but I certainly don't think it hurts. JVR would be an upgrade over Simmons, over Oscar Lindblom, who was also uh, sometimes a third piece with Patrick and Voracek towards the end of the season. Uh, so why not? Why not expect 50 or more points from Nolan Patrick this year? So overall, you're giving an unaffected, but overall he'll be better. It sounds I'm going like. to say can't hurt. 
Can't hurt. Okay. Obviously, this is bad for Oscar Lindblom. I didn't have him in the list, but he's probably getting bumped from that second line. So see ya. But in the long run, it might be better because I, I, from what I recall, he didn't seem terribly ready to take on that second line role. He wasn't really thriving. And I think maybe it would be better for his development to take it slowly, to have some stepping stones up to that spot and get there when he's ready instead of sort of being shoved into it because there's no better option. Fair enough. Okay, one more player for Ha on Philly. Travis Konechny burst into fantasy relevance last season, putting up 34 points in 43 games after January. So we had a 65-point pace. With him, just like with Nolan Patrick, we're going to throw away the start of the season, pretend it never happened. Second half of the year, Konechny was amazing. Does JVR entering the picture help or hurt his chances to keep that going for a full campaign next season? Are we going to be talking about 65-point Travis Konechny in eight months? Yeah, he, he's a tougher one. Deployment is going to be a huge part of the answer for how good Travis Konechny can be in 2018-19. With JVR in the picture, that last top six spot is probably going to be decided between Konechny or Wayne Simmons. So if it's Simmons, that of course puts Konechny instead of Simmons as the one on the fringe of fantasy relevance. But if Simmons stays out of the top six and Konechny holds his spot, that's very exciting for Konechny. I'm not sure it's quite 65 points exciting, although... Remember how impressed we were that Konechny was collecting nearly all of his points during that huge run he was on uh, at even strength, not on the power play at all, but not having a top power play role obviously caps what we can hope for from Konechny. And what I expected in even strength regression from Claude Giroux also takes some of the sheen off what Konechny could do at even strength on the top line. Uh, So as for the huh, I would say Konechny is mostly unaffected so long as Konechny can hold his spot in the top six, and he's not the one bumped out by JVR's addition. Okay, so you're saying unaffected, but he's probably going to regress from his second half point total. He'll probably do great considering his whole season total, considering he barely did anything in the first half of the year. Okay, so let's go to a new team now. I want to go to the St. Louis Blues, as they're looking to me like the team that had the busiest stretch over the past couple of weeks. So the biggest splash they made was, of course, their trade with the Buffalo Sabres, where they landed Ryan O'Reilly in exchange for Sabatka and Berglund, Tage Thompson, and some picks. So a big return for Ryan O'Reilly, no huge names. That's to be expected. Then St. Louis quickly filled in all those middle six spots that, you know, like Berglund and Sabatka were occupying. They signed David Perron. They signed Tyler Bozak. Word is they're going to be signing Patrick Maroon soon. That's not official yet as of this recording, but that's what I've seen on Roto World. St. Louis also lost their backup-ish goalie in Carter Hutton, who got signed actually by the Sabres. So it's almost as if they made throw him into the trade. And they picked up Chad Johnson, who was on the Sabres. Anyways, I don't know why I care so much about this, but I think it's interesting. So now I guess we've got Jake Allen being now the for sure number one goalie now that Carter Hutton is gone. But anyway, so where does that leave us? All of a sudden, St. Louis looks, looks like they've got a ton of forward depth. Like, they've got Tarasenko, Ryan O'Reilly, Shen, Schwartz, Steen, Perron, Bozak. We have to add Robbie Fabry, who will hopefully finally be healthy to complicate matters even further. Check out this tweet from Lou Korak. He's a beat writer for St. Louis. He was quoting Blues GM Doug Armstrong, and he said, sorry, by the way, for throwing all these names at you. So I'll I'll reset all this, I promise, listener, if you're like reeling from all the names. But this is a quote from GM Doug Armstrong of the St. Louis Blues. He said, in a perfect world, the St. Louis Blues could get to Christmas and you could have Robert Thomas centering a line with maybe Tarasenko on the right and O'Reilly on the left. 
Then you have Bozak with Steen and Perron with Shen and Schwartz. So wrap your head around those. And that's a quote from the tweet, by the way. They said wrap your head around those. But I'm saying the same thing. Because now all of a sudden, if you're going to have this guy, Robert Thomas, who was recently drafted, we'll talk about him a little bit later. If he's in the picture too, we've got a lot of names. And we've got to figure out who you want to draft from the St. Louis Blues going into next season. So let's start simple. Let's start with Ryan O'Reilly. He had a bit of a disappointing season last year. He had 61 points in 81 games on the Sabres. But it's worth noting that he really picked things up in the second half. He had a really slow start, but he ended the year with 37 points in 44 games. That's half the season. Again, uh, we have a theme here of players who really picked it up in the second half. That's a 69-point pace that Ryan O'Reilly put up in the second half. And that was with, again, another theme not the greatest line mates. He was playing with Sam Reinhart and Scott Wilson for most of the year. He wasn't playing with, you know, Jack Eichel. He was centering like another line and not to throw any shade at Sam Reinhart. He had a great ending. But yeah, O'Reilly is a really solid player, clearly. So I'd imagine playing with Tarasenko at best and someone like maybe Jaden Schwartz or, or Shen at worst has got to be an upgrade for O'Reilly in terms of line mates. All that said, Ryan, once again, like I've been asking, would you peg Ryan O'Reilly as someone who's going to improve next season over his 61 points, I kind of want to say 70 points. I feel like you're going to tell me it's too high, but if Braden Shen could get 70 points last year, I've always liked Ryan O'Reilly better than Braden Shen. You don't kind of want to say Ryan O'Reilly is going to get 70 points. You you really want to say you've been saying it for a couple of years now. And if Ryan O'Reilly did in fact get 70 points as a St. Louis Blue, that would be a career high for Ryan O'Reilly. He has produced at a 70 point pace once in his nine-year career, but only played 71 games that season, so didn't actually hit the 70-point mark. He was at 61 points. And I'm actually uh, being charitable here. It was like 69-point-something-something. Something. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, but, but he was with the Buffalo Sabres. Now he's with the St. Louis Blues. Tarasenko, did you see that tweet? They might have him playing on a line with Tarasenko. And Robert Thomas. But hey, playing with Tarasenko sure seems like a good enough reason to bump Ryan O'Reilly up from a 60, 65-point guy. I'll give you this to a 65 and maybe 70-point guy. One ray of hope for Ryan O'Reilly to get all the way up to 70 points is in his on-ice shooting percentage, which has been Buffalo ever since he became a Sabre. Seems to happen to anyone who puts on the Sabres jersey. Is their on-ice shooting percentage just takes a nosedive. And you, you have to think at some point Buffalo is going to look into that and try and solve that issue. Uh, so perhaps... Yeah, I'm, I'm sure it helps. You trade away Ryan O'Reilly. That's definitely going to help their <laughs> on-ice shooting percentage. So perhaps uh, Ryan O'Reilly's on-ice shooting percentage can be raised and remedied by playing more often with better players in a better system, in which case, tack on a few points your usual ROR projections, which, yes, inches you ever so much closer to 70 points. Like, like you said, Elon, if Braden Shen could do it last year, why not Ryan O'Reilly? So I am on board with your 70-point Ryan O'Reilly prediction. I'm definitely saying it's more yours than mine, but I can get with it. I'm not aghast at it. You're going to be in a few months wishing that you took more credit for that projection. (laughs) Okay, so I think the other big question, just like with the other players we've talked about, I guess this is keeping Carlson, right? We just talk about the same things over and over again, but we throw in different names. You throw in different analyses, but you know what I'm going to ask. What happens on the St. Louis Blues' top power play? Last season, their top unit, when everyone was healthy, which I'll admit wasn't so, so often, but you had the forwards being Tarasenko, Schwartz, Paul Stasny before he got traded, Braden Shen, and then some defensemen like Petrangelo or Vince Dunn for some reason. Anyways, then Alex Steen got some time there, especially when Stasny was gone. So now we've got Tarasenko, Schwartz, Steen, Shen still in the picture. Now Ryan O'Reilly. I'd imagine O'Reilly bumps someone from that top unit, probably Steen. Like, what's what's your sense of this top power play on the Blues? 
Well, the top power play on the Blues was not very much a top power play in the league last year. They ranked 30th in the NHL with a conversion rate of 15.5% with the man advantage. Part of this was due to St. Louis also ranking 30th in the league in power play shooting percentage. But to be honest, their shot selection and scoring chance frequency was not really deserving of much better standing. The Blues ranked 26th in the NHL and expected goals for per 60 minutes while on the power play. Not good. Then you look at Ryan O'Reilly, who managed 15 goals and 23 points despite being on a Buffalo power play that was ranked 20th in the league, and you figure that he can probably help. So he's going to get onto that power play. My guess is he steps right into Paul Stasny's spot, and then you've got guys like Steen, Perron, Fabry comprising a good chunk of a second unit that actually could be pretty capable. Yeah, so overall, like, St. Louis is looking good. Like, I didn't realize when all of the news was coming out of the free agent signings and the trades, I didn't, like, look at it through the lens of the St. Louis Blues. But now that I am, this is looking like a pretty strong team next year. And so I want to get into another game of huh with some other players on the Blues. If you don't mind, I think let's just skip over Tarasenko. We've talked about him a lot. I feel like, unless you disagree with me, we're going to say this is probably good for him. Maybe he could approach 80 points, 70 to 80. I know you always say that people think of him as a point-per-game guy. He's never been there, but he's all been close. Ryan O'Reilly playing with him should probably help. Jaden Schwartz has always been good. We'll see if he can stay healthy. Braden Shen, if he gets good line mates, he'll probably be good. There's some other players I actually want to ask you about. And I want to start with Alex Steen, who ended last season with 46 points in 76 games. So that's his worst showing in five seasons. Could you, I know you are not a fan of Alex Steen. So let's just, I guess, say it now, then we can forget about it. You've called him Steen Key before. So can you see yourself drafting Alex Steen? Or do you think now with Ryan O'Reilly and all these other guys in the picture, is it time to leave Steen undrafted and maybe like at, in your watch list as a potential free agent ad, but not someone you're especially excited about. I would absolutely not draft Alex Steen next year. Maybe a good watch list guy, but out of all the Blues forwards, he might be like my seventh choice, which speaks as much to the Blues forward depth as it does to how I feel about Alex Steen. Uh, he did manage to pick his shot rate back up to a little over two shots per game after just remember, well, he earned the stinky name back in 2016-17 when he like just stopped shooting and said he wanted to focus on his defensive game and was blocking shots for some reason. Uh, but Alex Steen, even though he was able to raise his shot rates again in 17-18, they're still not up to like the height of his career. They're, they fit the right place on the aging curve for where he's at. And uh, on top of all that, Alex Steen's point scoring rates still dropped in 17-18 for the fifth consecutive year. So I'm not so excited about drafting that guy. Fair enough. He did have like a 50-point pace last year. So in some deeper leagues, that would have been somewhat fantasy relevant. But now, like you say, he's a year older and there's a lot of new depth for him to contend with. Okay, how about poor Robbie Fabry? Missed all of last season with a knee injury. Before the injury news came out last year, we were expecting a top six spot for him. Now we go into this year where there's maybe more competition, but he's still relatively young, hopefully healthy. Is Robbie Fabry on your radar at all? Yeah. He's totally on my radar. Obviously, we don't have a ton of new data points for Robbie Fabry to work from uh, since we last spoke about him at the start of last season, but I'm still pretty optimistic based on where we were then that Fabry can come in and be a legit contributor if given the opportunity. Opportunity here is definitely the key, though. I see Fabry as being capable of being in the Blues' five most productive forwards, so essentially ahead of Perron, Steen, Bozak, and the like. Uh, but he's going to need top six minutes and at least a spot on the second unit to get there. 
Okay, and speaking of David Perron, this guy's had such a strange career. Like, just reading about this today, it's like, you can't script this. So he's, he had an amazing year last year. Let's start with the end of the story. He had 66 points in 70 games, near point-per-game pace for David Perron, which obviously earned him this pretty lucrative contract with the Blues. Like, if you go back to the start of his career, he started with St. Louis, and he actually had his best season with 42 points in 57 games. So before this last year with Vegas, his best season was really early on with the Blues in 2011-2012. That was a 60-point pace. He then left the Blues. He went to Edmonton. He had a good year there. Then he was shipped to Pittsburgh, and then he went to Anaheim. He was disappointing in both of those places. Then he went back to St. Louis, where he put up 46 points in a full season, which is okay, nothing special. Then he went to Vegas to have this amazing year last year. Now he's back in St. Louis for a third time. So now, David Perron, back on the Blues. Are you expecting him to land closer to his 2016-17 Blues numbers, which were 46 points, or do you expect him to land closer to his 2017-18 Vegas numbers, which were point per game? Wow, David Perron, nearly point per game. It still sounds weird. Like, we had to fact check that off mic to be able to move on with the show. Uh, But Perron got there by being an assist-heavy guy, just 16 goals last season, and then got 50 apples to get him all the way up to 66 points in 70 games. Uh, Oh, by the way, Perron also had an on-ice shooting percentage above 9%. Oh, and he also had an IPP in the mid-70s, both of which have happened before. but. Both numbers are high, if you couldn't tell from my tone, and it's more likely that both numbers are going to regress. At least it's more likely that they'll regress compared to the likelihood that they will be able to hold where they are. David Perron also shot less than ever before last year, mostly because he was dishing out passes all the time to Eric Halla and James Neal, who were converting on them. So hey, if he gets to dish to like Robbie Fabry and Braden Shen, Who's to say they won't cash in? So David Perron is actually kind of a tough one for me, as he's often been low when I've hoped for high from him and high when I've expected low. Uh, He was able to score 18 power play points in a second unit role with Vegas. If St. Louis divvies up their power play units similarly, then I can see Perron getting into the 60-point territory. See, it's even hard for me to say again. uh, But if St. Louis loads up on power play one, gives that unit like 60% or more of the available power play time, then I think 60 points is going to be a real hard sell for David Perron. So I'm going to go, I'm going high 50s, Elon. So that seems about where you'll probably be able to draft him in most leagues. I feel like there's not many people out there who are expecting David Perron to repeat his amazing year last year that he put up in Vegas. Like all these guys in Vegas just were so good. You almost have to assume that there was some magic there. And now he's back in St. Louis. Seems like you're landing right in the middle. He had 46 points two seasons ago with the Blues. Last year, point per game, you're going in the middle. 60 point pace, maybe closer to 55. We'll see what happens. Okay, a couple other players I want to throw at you. Tyler Bozak had 43 points last year. Any reason to expect more on the Blues or is he just going to be a depth guy? No one to worry about yeah no one to worry about he had James Van Riemsdyk most of last year and also had runs with Mitch Marner and William Nylander in St. Louis it may be more like Alexander Steen and Jordan Cairo and he'll also have less power play time on top of that in all likelihood so yeah don't get too excited about Tyler Bozak I would probably prefer Alex Steen over him Okay, there you go. Some love for Alex Dean. How about Pat Maroon if he goes to St. Louis? Now we're even talking about guys that haven't moved yet. He has had some really strong fantasy relevant stretches when he played with superstars like McDavid and Hall. Is there a chance that Pat Maroon could go to the Blues and maybe he could be paired with his own superstar, Vladimir Tarasenko? Stranger things have happened. I doubt that we're going to be recommending to draft Pat Maroon. Maybe, maybe he'll prove me wrong, but I would definitely keep him on my watch list because he's been known to get put with strong players before and do pretty well. 
He's made a career out of it before he was doing it with Hall, before he was doing it with McDavid. He was doing it with Ryan Getzlaff in Anaheim. That said, he wasn't exactly racking up points automatically when he got those opportunities. So if he does sign with St. Louis, which he hasn't yet, he's quote unquote expected to. But I just saw a tweet, Elon, like five minutes ago saying that there's still a few teams in on him. So I don't know if this whole conversation is pointless. Move on. Let's Uh, move on. Either way, wherever he ends up, a good guy like to stream in in a deep league mm-hmm. if you want to take a shot. Yeah, I just felt like since we're on the Blues, I don't want to bring them up again next week. I want to just <laughs> cover them. But yeah, we might have talked about this for nothing. Okay, finally, Brian, who's this Robert Thomas guy that Doug Armstrong was talking about? Definitely someone to watch if the GM is expecting him to center the top line with Tarasenko and Ryan O'Reilly at some point this season, right? A line combo projection take that has Robert Thomas on the top line Man, that's a hot one. At 20th pick overall was Robert Thomas at the 2017 entry draft. Uh, He was fantastic for both London and Hamilton of the OHL last year. And he is at the top of St. Louis's prospect list. He stands six feet and 188 pounds. Also, just turned 19. The reason why Thomas may be showing up on the higher end of the Blues line projections is that he seems to be a guy who, who would be considered a waste as a fourth line forward based on how offensive he can be and just how useful he can be on any actual scoring line. So I think, uh, I think it speaks to how handy St. Louis expects him to be that he's being projected into the anywhere in the top six. And it seems as though Rob Thomas is going to be given every chance to prove himself a training camp and could be a really good and hockey hipster-like late round grab. Yeah, could be a sleeper pick. Someone definitely to watch if he doesn't get drafted in your league. Keep a close eye and see if this actually comes true, that he ends up playing with these all-star players, then you'll obviously want to grab Robert Thomas. And no Ted in the chat room. It's not the Rob Thomas of Matchbox 20. We'll see who turns out to be a more household name in the long run. So finally on St. Louis, the goalie situation, right? So they lose Carter Hutton. Now I guess Jake Allen is the undisputed starter. That said... Allen didn't have a great year last year. He ended with a 9.06 save percentage. He'll need to be better if the Blues want to capitalize on this deep forward group. Like what we were talking about with the lease about how a team could do really well, even if they don't have a marquee defenseman. I don't think the same could be said if you don't have a goalie who could like at least be average. I can't imagine Chad Johnson is much of a threat to steal the number one job. So Jake Allen probably won't get Carter Hutton again this year. But the question is, how good is his fantasy value? Like how highly would you draft him? He's on a great team, but he's struggled recently. I like Jake Allen. I think you can probably get him as an under-the-radar pick for next season. Like, yes, it's going to be a little risky, but I think most people are sort of forgetting about him, and he doesn't have, like you said, much of a challenge coming from the number two spot. Seems as though the Blues have confidence that Jake Allen is going to step back into that number one role and own it, and they have a pretty good team in front of him. So I actually like him as a good value pick who's likely to be available outside of say the top 10 goalies picked in your league yeah by by the way i guess if we do our audio guide we could just probably copy this whole last half hour conversation and make that the st louis blues chapter right i guess we'll throw in colton pareko talk about him Jaden schwartz but we're pretty much done we've covered the whole team well you're really selling the audio guide elon you're really making it something that people wouldn't be able to do without (laughs) just kidding we're gonna do it fresh and we're gonna do like a ton more research it's gonna make it look like this episode was like we just came up with it on the fly compared to what you'll be getting in now our expectations are way too high elon prepare for many refund requests oh no i don't know what to do so let's just move on to the team that carter hutton went to which is the buffalo Sabers. uh so not a great spot 
I would think for him and his fantasy value, maybe it's great for him. He's going to be a number one goalie, which maybe some other teams he would have had to battle. Maybe he will have to battle there, though. So let's discuss it. So we already mentioned that Buffalo let Robin Leonard go and decided to sign Carter Hutton to a three-year, $8.25 million contract instead. Carter Hutton, by the way, not a young buck, 32 years old. He had a career year with the Blues last year, putting up a 931 save percentage in 32 games, stealing the net from Jake Allen for a very decent stretch. Aside from that, his numbers have always been near or below average as a backup on the Predators. So the Sabres are definitely taking a swing here. Also, the Sabres are down Ryan O'Reilly. They did the land Rasmus Dahlin at the draft, and he's going to play next year. So is there any chance the Sabres can be good next year, and then thus Carter Hutton could end up being a solid fantasy asset? Or will he be at the bottom of the heap come Schmore Goliesborg in a couple of months? I'd love to hear at the end of whatever take you're going to give Carter Hutton versus Robin Leonard, who you'd want to draft first. How about I'll give it to you at the beginning of my take. I think the chances of Hutton being a solid fantasy asset are probably, are you ready for it? No better or worse than Robin Lehner. How's oh, that for a hedge? Hot take. I'm, I'm actually going to say I, I believe a little bit less in Carter Hutton than I do in Robin Lehner, even though I outlined several reasons why you shouldn't b- believe in Robin Lehner earlier in the show. There are also a couple reasons why you shouldn't be believing in Carter Hutton. First, his age. He's entering his age 33 season. I mean, we talked with Robin Lehner how sometimes goalies, you know, show themselves at 29 or 30 mysteriously. I don't know of a goalie offhand who did that at 33. So that's Carter Hutton's challenge now. Uh, His career history also does not scream someone ready to be a starting goalie. Not that he's ever had the opportunity, but also Hutton had never differentiated himself from being an average at best NHL backup until a small sample performance last season. And, of course, you have to consider that Carter Hutton is going to a new team in Buffalo where he's going to be facing much more dangerous shots than he was in St. Louis. And if you look at where he struggled last year, even while doing so well, it was uh, the most dangerous shots. Those were the bucket that Carter Hutton was the weakest at stopping last season. So we'll see how Carter Hutton moving to Buffalo and Robin Lehner moving to New York works out. I am leaning towards preferring Robin Lehner. I think that's fair. And I think one guy I'm going to have my eye on is Linus Allmark as a potential early free agent ad if Carter Hutton falters, which I kind of think he will. Not to throw some bad juju at Carter Hutton, but it's hard to... I don't know. Like The thing with Carter Hutton to me is he was the backup on Nashville. Nashville's one of those teams that's always been such a great place for a goalie to live. And even there, he was putting below average numbers as the backup. So I don't know. I don't have a lot of faith in him. I guess we'll see. But Linus Allmark, he's only appeared in 26 games with Buffalo over the past three seasons, but he's put up a respectable 917 save percentage, which is above average and especially impressive, like you say, on a Buffalo team where they let in a lot more high danger shots. So Brian, why don't you throw us your opinion on Linus Allmark? I feel like he could challenge for next season. Are you with me? I am with you. We haven't seen much of Linus Allmark since the 2015-16 season. That was his first NHL year when Allmark started 20 games and won eight of them with a 9.13 save percentage. And remember, that was a pretty awful Sabres team who was backstopping, although you can essentially say that for any Sabres team in uh, recent memory. I've seen Carter Hutton's involvement with Buffalo being described as like a sort of protection, mentor role, so that Linus Allmark can ease into his NHL role without being in a position that Robin Lehner was in, where he was sometimes totally alone, hung out to dry, no better options, no other goalie available to come in and stem the bleeding. I would argue that if that's the case, Hutton's contract is pretty rich to play a protector mentor role, but hey, whatever, I'm not, I'm not handing out these checks. 
Uh, I am more optimistic, though, about Allmark's potential performance this season than Carter Hutton's. I think Hutton probably gets the net to start, and maybe he does all right with it, but I imagine the plan is to eventually get Allmark in more and more frequently so that he gets some reps and progresses towards the path of eventually being the Sabre starter. And before I close out this take, Elon, it just reminds me, uh, I can't remember what you said. I think something about Nashville. Yeah, I said that Carter Hutton wasn't able to put up a great save percentage, even though he was the Nashville backup goalie, which is generally a good place to right. be. And that actually reminded me of another reason why you might choose Robin Lehner. Uh, Barry Trotz, remember in Nashville, they were a defensive team up until a few years ago. Like, it was surprising all of a sudden when, I think it was mostly when they got Philip Forsberg and had Ryan Johansson. It's like, oh my gosh, Nashville's going to play offense now. Remember in the past, Elon, it was like Patrick Hornqvist would lead the team in scoring with like 55 points. Mike Fisher would have like 52 Something like that. And that's about as much as you could expect from the Predators. Barry Trotz coached that team. Mind you, he might have had better defensive personnel in Nashville than he's going to have in Long Island. But it is, uh, it's on his resume. Yeah, he had Shea Weber, all-star defenseman, who right now is going to be, by the way, on the shelf. I didn't plan on bringing this up this episode, but since you mentioned it, and I guess you didn't, I mentioned it, but <laughs> Weber is going to be out for five to six months now. I don't know why we're laughing. That's really sad for Habs fans and, of course, for Shea Weber. So I'm not why? laughing at that. Of I was course. laughing at you. Of course. With okay, you. I just want to remind people that Jeff Petrie came in when Shea Weber got injured last year and did really well. He had like a plus 45 point pace, a ton of power play points, and he's great for hits and blocks. So at least for early in the year, until Shea Weber comes back, you definitely don't want to leave Jeff Petrie undrafted in your league. So maybe we'll get on to the Habs and talk about them a bit more in a future episode. We're still on the Sabres. Brian, now that they've lost Ryan O'Reilly, I want to ask you, like after Jack Eichel, which Sabres forward would you be drafting first for next season? So in a one-year league, Sabres forward. So don't give me Rasmus Dahlin. So even though you're actually apparently not that high on Rasmus Dahlin, we had a really good talk about him on well, the it's all, it's all relative. Of course. Well, no, I'll just, I'm going to tease. If people are interested, you could pay a buck, become a patron, check out our patron cast that we did last week, where we discussed what we think Darlene is going to do next season and in the future. So you can check that out, keepingcarlson.com slash patron. But I shouldn't have to rush through this, by the way. We didn't even throw an ad at you guys this week. We're giving you an ad-free episode, aside from talking about our guide and our patronage. What was I talking about? Oh yeah, the Sabres. Which forward would you want after Jack Eichel? I'm going to throw some options at you, okay? If you yes. don't mind. Okay, I'm going to throw them at you. So, first of all, with Ryan O'Reilly out of the picture, it's expected that the 2017 8th overall pick, Casey Middlestat, will jump in to center the second line under Eichel. Maybe he gets on the top power play as well. Last year, the four forwards who were consistently on the top power play were Eichel, Ryan O'Reilly, Sam Reinhart, and Kyle Ocposo. So I'm not sure who else would be taking over Ryan O'Reilly's spot, aside from maybe Casey Middlestat, unless maybe like one of these other guys I'll get to in a little bit. So, okay, so he's one guy that I think is definitely worth discussing. Then we have Sam Reinhardt, who ended last year with 50 points, which isn't that great, but he came on so strong at the end. He put up 39 of his 50 points in his last 44 games after January. So another guy we want to throw the first half out the window, and he was like near elite in the second half of the year. So throw the first half plus the two previous seasons out the window for Sam Reinhardt. Yeah, well, he was young. And also, I feel like Jack Eichel was always injured. And then Sam Reinhardt got to play. But even with Eichel injured last year, Reinhardt just, like, came on strong and was amazing. Maybe a lot due to Ryan O'Reilly. So maybe it hurts him that O'Reilly's gone, though I'd expect him to play with Jack Eichel. And maybe also with Connor Sherry, who I'll throw out there as a guy that I'd imagine you're not going to say is the second guy you take on Buffalo. But we got to put him in as a dark horse because he is a guy who at one point put up a 70-point pace with the Pittsburgh Penguins, playing with Sidney Crosby. Of course, last year was a huge disappointment. Sherry only had 30 points in 79 games. But hey, 
maybe he'll do something better. So he was, by the way, acquired in a trade for picks on the same day that I interviewed Cam. So I actually asked Cam Robinson about Connor Sherry while we were recording. And Cam, of course, was able to answer with no prep. What a pro. Okay, so I've thrown at you Casey Middlestat as an option of who you'd want on the Sabres as a forward after Eichel. I've thrown at you Sam Reinhardt, Connor Sherry. I guess we have to mention Kyle Ocposo. He put up a sad 44 points in 76 games last year, was barely rosterable for a decent stretch. But, like, like so I kind of feel like I just want to ask you if you'd even be drafting Kyle Ocposo. I wonder if he's in Alex Steen territory, but I'll throw him in the list. And also, I guess I could throw in guys like Berglund and Sabatka and Tage Thompson, who they got for Ryan O'Reilly. I can't imagine you're interested in any of them. Tage Thompson is a prospect that might be good. It's okay. I've thrown a bunch of names. Who do you like best? Sam Reinhart. Done. Next. Easy. That was so easy. Great lead up. You really, you did a fantastic job. And Kyle Ocposo is someone maybe in a deep enough league I would draft in the late rounds. Uh, but he, like, I was one of the guys who got burned by him last year and stood by him too long. One player you left out, Elon, Jason Pominville. Calm down. Calm down. Don't Why? draft Jason Pominville. Well, I would prefer him to, like, Sabatka and probably Berglund. Okay, yeah, that's fair. But okay, so you're saying Sam Reinhardt. Like, what are you expecting from him next year? Like I said, he ended the year with 39 points in 44 games. I'd imagine you're not going to be projecting 75 points like that pace was. Like, but can we expect 60 plus? I only prepared to answer your question. I didn't expect to back it up. Off the top of your head. We'll get to it in the guide. We'll get to the backup in the guide. But why do you like Sam Reinhardt? Like, like just, uh, I don't know. How high do you think he could go? Nah, he looked good. He looked legitimately good last year uh, for half the season. Again, I have my concerns that he was asleep at the wheel for like, not just the first half of the season, but his entire career before that, a lot of false starts. But I saw enough last year to believe that there is some talent in him playing with Jack Eichel. He's probably going to get top deployment, top line, top power play. So all of that is reason for me to hope that he can still get I don't know, I'd say 55-point pace would be the floor. And then, you know, I, uh, that's an easy part to say. The question is, what, where do you cap his upside? I would probably cap it a little lower than you would. I would say like 60, 65 points. And that's the upside, not the projection. Okay, well, that's, that's pretty good. It probably also depends on how good Jack Eichel does. That will probably set a cap for how good Sam Reinhardt could be. You didn't mention anything about Casey Middlestat. I know generally you don't like to put too much weight into rookies. So Matt Barzel last year had 85 points. I know you're not going to say middle stat is as good as Barzel. And you're saying maybe Sam Reinhardt's like a 55-point guy and he'd rather Reinhardt. So is Casey middle stat like draftable for next year? Or are you going to leave him for someone else to take? There's a lot of uh, like hype around Casey middle stat. And he does jump in to, like I said, probably second center and probably top power play. Yeah, so second center. If you're the second center in Buffalo, you're playing with, either Pominville or Ocposo on one side, and then either like Sherry Berglund or Gergensens on the other. It's not a great place to be. So I'm not going to get too excited about his potential based on who he's surrounded with. Maybe he sneaks onto the top power play. That would be helpful. I think 50 points would be a really successful season for him. I wouldn't want anybody banking on much more than that. In fact, if you're drafting him, Like, I I think it's still, I always, you know, with rookies, I'll say about 40 points is a pretty good Calder season. Okay. So wait, not a Calder season. Uh, Rookie season. A season in which you're eligible to win the Calder. 
All right, and with that, Brian, we have so much still to get to, but how about we save it for our next one or two shows? Don't worry, everyone. We'll definitely cover it all. Let me give you a little preview of what's coming up next. It's like one of these previews at the end of an episode of TV, like coming up next on Keeping Carlson. We're going to talk about Mike Hoffman going to the Panthers, Grubauer going to the Avalanche, the big Hamilton for Lindholm and Hannafin trade, the, the big signings of Ilya Kovalchuk, Paul Stasny, James Neal, the re-signings of John Carlson, Joe Thornton, Colin Miller, the smaller name signings, but we'll definitely still talk about them. Bannock, Nishushkin going back to Dallas, Grabner. Also, there's a ton of goalie movement we're going to have to get to, like Bernier, Cam Ward, Marazic, Hudobin, Halak. They all changed teams. We could probably bring up that Shea Weber news again. So yeah, you probably want to be subscribed to Keeping Carlson on iTunes if you want to be getting in on all of this great content that's going to be coming at you over the next episode or two. No need to rush, right? We got all summer. No one's drafting right now. Well, maybe some people are. But if you are, you can tweet us at Keeping Carlson with any burning questions about any of these guys. But yeah, we hope you liked this episode. If you did, let us know. We'd love to hear from you. Tweet at us at Keeping Carlson. Also, you can give us a five-star review on iTunes. We would love that so, so much. We really do appreciate the people who take the time. Because I know it's not like, I, I try to say like, oh, you're already on the internet, just do it. I know it's like a bit of effort. You have to like go in, sometimes you have to make an account. But like, so we really do thank all the people who have taken the time to give us that review on iTunes, which really does help the show. We do have our Kickstarter, which we mentioned at the start of the show, the world's first ever audio fantasy guide though only if we get enough support that makes us decide that we're going to do it. And you can always put down your $15 Canadian, by the way. If you're an American person, this is like, what, $12? It's it's so little. So if you want to get this first ever guide, you're going to have to sign up for the Kickstarter. If we don't get enough money, then you don't even get charged. So it's risk-free, and we think it's going to be really good. If we don't do it, if we don't get enough subscriptions, Brian, maybe someone else will steal our our idea, and then someone else will do it next year. So we took a big risk putting this out there. That just sounds uh, paranoid. Yeah, I wouldn't worry about it because I'm sure our listeners will come through and we'll do it. Don't, don't worry. If you don't want it, we also could just not and do it. If and... you don't and someone else does it, that's, a, that's okay. Yeah, they'll set a low bar and then we'll surpass it. So. <laughs> okay. The, what else do I want to say? I guess you could check out our Patreon, keepingcarlson.com slash Patreon. We still have our promotion going where for any amount, we're starting to get some chatter going on the Facebook group. It's been a lot of fun if you're interested. With that, Brian, how about let's cue the outro music. For the people here live, nothing happened. But trust me, it's pretty amazing for the people listening to the MP3. And Brian, why don't you go ahead and read us the credits for this episode? All right. This episode of the Cuban Carlson Hockey Podcast was presented by Dabra Hockey and supported by our patrons, including our newest ones, Teresa, Jesse, Ted. Thank you. Thank you. It was researched with help from Dauber Hockey, Frozen Pool, Dauber Prospects, Corsica, Natural Statric, Charting Hockey, Hockey Reference, Hockey Viz, The Athletic, Hockey Database, Elite Prospects, Roto World, and Fantrax. Great job, as always. Brian, very much looking forward to covering all these other guys that I just mentioned in a couple of weeks for our next episode. Until then, keep on keeping Carl Son. Please, Ottawa Senators. Who cares? Let it go. Honestly, Brian, the Sens would be dumb to keep Eric Carlson. He's totally not going to resign. Why are you even asking them to keep him for next year just so they could lose him like the Islanders lost John Tavares? Is that really what you want? It's selfish, so I can watch him more frequently. What? You, oh, you're going to go to so many Sens games next year? No, I get, I, I get more of them on TV. You don't subscribe to NHL Game Center? I do. I guess you're right. I guess it's a bad. But I have more of a rooted, I have more of an interest in watching Sens games. I'm hoping for Carlson to change hands for the Ottawa Senators and also for Eric Carlson. It's just lame for anybody to not keep Carlson. Fair enough. Keep him in fantasy. Bye. Bye.